0: Good morning. Welcome to With God at Dawn. Today we continue our studies of uh, Stephen Haskell's book, The Bible Handbook. And we're going to learn something that happened, it was historically, happened in the United States. I think it was like 1833. Um, Well, was it? Anyway, uh, we'll get to the date. But, uh, oh no, it was 1780. May 19, 1780 was a fulfillment of prophecy and we're going to be looking at signs of Christ coming in the heavens let's just have a little prayer first Dear Jesus, thank you Lord that you helped us to be able to put together this study about the fulfillment of things happening in early early history that pinpointed the, the beginning of the Day of Atonement and leading up to it and the beginning of the movement of your Advent people in the world who are looking for your coming. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we're going to begin with, this is almost all Bible verses today, with just one little additional reading from the great controversy. 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 Can't talk. And uh, you're dealing with an old lady who's learning things with this program, and one of the things that I learned was that every time I pause, it creates another section. But I also learned how to add it, as you saw yesterday, um, as a, uh, a subset to the recording. So I'm learning how to deal with these problems. And I no longer have the recording setup that I used to have when I recorded audiobooks. I'm missing a few pieces to that. And if I ever get them together, then my quality of my readings will definitely improve. But in the meantime, I don't want to hold off Doing this until I have a setup because the time is short in the world, brothers and sisters. Don't you agree? All right, here we are. We're going to begin with Luke 21 verses 25 and 26. And, uh, Luke 21 verses 25 and 26. This is Jesus speaking. He said, And there shall be signs in the sun and In the moon and in the stars and upon the earth, distress of nations, with perplexity the sea and the waves roaring, men's hearts failing them for fear and for looking after these things which are coming on the earth, for the powers of heaven shall be shaken. He also uh, tells that in his famous talk to the disciples in Matthew 24, but we're using Luke 21. Luke was actually very thorough as a physician. He really covered details. All right, so we're going to go to, there were signs in the heavens and the earth, as what that explained to us. But we're going to flip over to Joel 3.15. And Joel 3.15. Joel um, was one of the minor prophets, although he, I don't consider him minor, but he had a small book, and he said, the Bible says, The sun and the moon shall be darkened, and the stars shall withdraw their shining. So the sun and moon and stars are darkened. And here is where I do the one book reference that I have, Great Controversy, pages 306 to 308. And it crossed my mind this morning that the Great Controversy, and I haven't looked into this, so don't um, take this to the bank, but I'm wondering if it parallels the uh, opening of the seals of Revelation which is the history of the church. The trumpets was the history of um, wars in the nations, and the seals, I think, were the history of the church. Was, I'm, I'm not sure if I have that right. Actually, I would have to verify that. But I'm wondering if it, the the great controversy the whole book would open that up to us some more. I'd have to look at that someday. But right now, 306 through 308 has some paragraphs on the subject of the signs in the heavens. So, in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened. And, of course, that's referring to the tribulation of the dark days of the uh, persecution of the papacy. So, that gives us a time in history, kind of a nail. In those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. The 1260 days or years terminated in 1798. Why 1798? Because that's when the papacy was taken captive by the general, Berthier's general. And uh, so it very clearly terminated the Dark Ages and the beginning at the end or the beginning of the end of time. A quarter of a century earlier, persecution had almost wholly ceased between these two dates, according to the words of Christ the sun was to be darkened on the may 19th of may on the 19th of may 1780 this prophecy was fulfilled almost if not altogether alone as the most mysterious and as yet unexplained phenomenon of its kind stands the dark day of may 19 1780 a most unaccountable darkening of the whole visible heavens and atmosphere in new england that the darkness was not due to an eclipse as evident from the fact that the moon was then nearly full. It was not caused by clouds or the thickness of the atmosphere, for in some localities where the darkness extended, the sky was so clear that the stars could be seen. Concerning the inability of science to assign a satisfactory cause for this manifestation, Herschel, the astronomer, declares, The dark day in North America was one of those wonderful phenomena of nature which philosophy is at a loss to explain. The extent of the darkness was also very remarkable. It was observed at the most easterly regions of New England, westward to the farthest part of Connecticut and at Albany, New York, to the southward. It was observed all along the seacoast and to the north as far as the American settlements extended. It probably far exceeded those boundaries, but the exact limits were never positively known. With regard to its duration, it continued in the neighborhood of Boston for at least fourteen or fifteen hours. The um, morning was clear and pleasant, but about eight o'clock there was observed an uncommon appearance in the sun. There were no clouds, but the air was thick, having a smoky appearance, and the sun shone with a pale, yellowish hue, but kept growing darker and darker until it was hid from sight. There was midnight darkness at noonday. The occurrence brought intense alarm and distress to multitudes of minds, as well as dismay to the whole brute creation. The fowls fleeing bewildered to their roosts, and the birds to their nests, and the cattle returning to their stalls. Frogs and night hawks began their notes. The cocks crew as at daybreak. Farmers were forced to leave their work in the fields. Business was generally suspended and candles were lighted in the dwellings the legislature of connecticut was in session at hartford but being unable to transact business adjourned everything bore the appearance and gloom of night the intense darkness of the day was succeeded an hour or two before evening by a partially clear sky and the sun appeared though it was still obscured by the black heavy mist but this interval was followed (coughs) excuse me by a return of the obscuration with greater density that rendered the first half of the night hideously dark beyond all former experience of the probable millions of people who saw it. From soon after sunset until midnight, no ray of light from moon or star penetrated the vault above. It was pronounced the blackness of darkness. Said an eyewitness of the scene, I could not help conceiving at the time that if every luminous body in the universe had been shrouded in impenetrable darkness or struck out of existence, the darkness could not have been more complete. Though the moon that night rose to the full, it had not the least effect to dispel the death-like shadows. After midnight, the darkness disappeared and the moon, when first visible, had the appearance of blood. Okay, one more page, a few paragraphs. The post, the poet Whittier, thus speaks of this memorable day. "'Twas on a May day of the far old year, 1780, that there fell, over the bloom and sweet life of the spring, over the fresh earth and the heaven of noon, a horror of great darkness. Men prayed and women wept. All ears grew sharp to hear the doom blast of the trumpet shatter the black sky. May 19, 1780. Stands in history as the dark day." Since the time of Moses, no period of darkness of equal density, extent, and duration has ever been recorded. The description of this event, as given by the poet and the historian, is but an echo of the words of the Lord, recorded by the prophet Joel, 2,500 years previous to their fulfillment. The sun shall be turned into darkness, and the moon into blood, before the great and terrible day of the Lord come. Christ had bidden his people watch for the signs of his advent and rejoice as they should behold the tokens of their coming king. When these things begin to come to pass, he said, Then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. He pointed his followers to the budding tree of spring, and said, When they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now at hand. So likewise ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Okay, and that end of that reading. We'll go back to our Bibles. Turn to Revelation 6, verse 12. Revelation 6, verse 12. And I have not put markers in all of my... so There will be a lot of page turning here. Um, which is kind of hard when your hands are starting to feel numb, which I don't know what that's about. Revelation 6, 12. All right grateful for every blessing. And I beheld when he had opened the sixth seal and lo, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair and the moon became as blood. Alright, so we know that that happened under the sixth seal of the Bible in Revelation. The sun, black as sackcloth. Now turn with me back to Isaiah chapter 13. Verse 10, Isaiah 13, verse 10. For the stars of heaven and the constellations thereof shall not give their light. The sun shall be darkened in his going forth, and the moon shall not cause her light to shine. And the book of Joel is quite interesting. It's a um, a prophecy. The sun, black as sackcloth, the sun darkened in its going forth. In the morning, that was Joel, or Isaiah. Amos 8, 9. Amos. Amos. 8, verse 9. And it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord God, that I will cause the sun to go down at noon, and I will darken the earth in the clear day. A clear fulfillment of that prophecy of Amos and Joel. The darkest at noon in a clear sky. The Bible even labeled it at noon. Now, (laughs) go with me to Ezekiel. Ezekiel 32. Ezekiel is before Daniel. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Well, 32. Uh, Verse 7. And when I shall put thee out, I will cover the heaven and make the stars thereof dark. I will cover the sun with a cloud, and the moon shall not give her light. The sun covered with a cloud. Amos chapter 5. Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos. Chapter 5. Verse 8 Seek him that maketh the seven stars and Orion and turneth the shadow of death into the morning and maketh the day dark with night that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. The night was also dark. And Revelation six twelve, which we already read, said the moon would be like blood. But you can go back to it if you like. Matthew twenty-four, twenty-nine is Jesus also speaking with his disciples that narrative. We can flip over to Matthew twenty-four. It's very close. Matthew twenty four. Jesus giving his narrative of the end times events. Matthew 24, verse 29. Immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Immediately after the tribulation of the 1260 years. Now I'm going to turn to Mark thirteen twenty-four, 24. Matthew, Mark 13 twenty four and here's Jesus speaking again, telling giving the signs of the end through the prophet Mark's narrative, but in those days after that tribulation, the sun shall be darkened, and the moon shall not give her light. It was darkened in the days, but after the tribulation and matthew twenty four twenty two says the days were shortened matthew twenty four twenty two And Jesus said, And except those days days should be shortened, there should no flesh be saved. But for the elect's sake, those days shall be shortened. In other words, the persecution and the martyrdom was so horrifying that everyone was being destroyed. And so those days were shortened. In other words, it didn't quite make it all the way to 1798. The tribulation ceased about 1776. The 1260 years of Daniel, 725, began at 538 A.D. and ended in 1798, so 1776 was a bit short, but Jesus had said that they would be shortened. 1798 A.D. was the end of the Tribulation. An account of the fulfillment is given in Webster's Dictionary, 1869 edition, as follows. The Dark Day, May 19, 1780. So called on account of the remarkable darkness on that day extending all over New England, in some places persons could not see to read common print in the open air for several hours together. The obscuration began about ten o'clock in the morning and continued till the middle of the next night, but with differences of degree and duration in different places. For several days previously the wind had been variable, but chiefly from the southwest and northeast The true cause of this remarkable phenomenon is not known. Herschel the astronomer says, The dark day in North America was one of those wonderful phenomena of nature which will always be read of with interest, but which philosophy is at a loss to explain. So I'm going to go back to Revelation 16 verse 13 because it will tell us that the way that the stars fell was like green fruit being shaken from a tree. Revelation 6.13. Okay, and it says, The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs, or green fruit, which is shaken of a mighty wind. And there is a couple of pages with some few paragraphs and great controversy. Page 333 and 334 that describes that event. How the way they were shaken. 333 and 334 as a fulfillment of prophecy. Okay. All right. Okay. The stars of heaven fell unto the earth, even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. This prophecy received a striking and impressive fulfillment in the great meteoric shower. Mm -hmm. of november 13 1833 that was the most extensive and wonderful display of falling stars which has ever been recorded the whole firmament over all the united states being then for hours in fiery commotion so that wasn't that far after the dark day so these prophecies of jesus are being fulfilled in their order first the dark day then the falling stars anyway back to the reading the most extensive and wonderful display of falling stars which has ever been recorded, the whole firmament over all the United States, being then for hours in fiery commotion, no celestial phenomenon has ever been occur- occurred in this country since its first settlement, which was viewed with such intense admiration by one class in the community, or such dread and alarm by another, its sublimity and awful beauty still linger in many minds. Never did rain fall much thicker than the meteors fell toward the earth east, west, north, and south. It was the same. In a word, the whole heaven seemed in motion. The display, as described in Professor Silliman's journal, was seen all over North America, from two o'clock until broad daylight, the sky being perfectly serene and cloudless, an incessant play of dazzlingly brilliant luminosities, was kept up in the whole heavens no language indeed can come up to the splendor of that magnificent display no one who did not witness it can form an adequate conception of its glory it seemed as if the whole starry heavens had congregated at one point near the zenith and were simultaneously shooting forth with a velocity of lightning to every part of the horizon and yet they were not exhausted thousands swiftly followed in the track of thousands as if created for the occasion A more correct picture of a fig tree casting its figs when blown by a mighty wind is not possible to behold. On the day following its appearance, Henry Dana Ward wrote thus of the wonderful phenomenon. No philosopher or scholar has told or recorded an event, I suppose, like that of yesterday morning. A prophet 1,800 years ago foretold it exactly. If we will be at the trouble of understanding stars falling to mean falling stars and the only sense in which it is possible to be literally true. Thus was displayed the last of those signs of his coming, concerning which Jesus bade his disciples, When ye shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. After these signs, John beheld as the great event next, impending the heavens departing as a scroll, while the earth quaked, mountains and islands removed out of their places. So that has not happened yet. We are waiting for that. Many who witnessed the falling of the stars looked upon it as a herald of the coming judgment, an awful type, a sure forerunner, a merciful sign of that great and dreadful day. Thus the attention of the people was directed to the fulfillment of prophecy, and many were led to give heed to the warning of the second advent. Okay, so let me put that book aside. <clears throat> hmm. The Dark Day. An entire chapter in Devon's book, Our First Century, pages 329 to 336, is devoted to the description of the Great Shower of Stars in November 13, 1833, which fulfilled this prophecy in every respect. I looked that book up. It's available as a PDF, and you can search that PDF if your phone allows you to. You can find pages 329 to 336, which describes that event by someone who lived in that time. It's, it's titled, Devon's Our First Century, pages 329 to 336. I'm not going to go read that, I don't think. Well, how much time do we have? We've been 23 minutes and how much more. No, I'm not going to do that. Um, I will leave that for you to look up on your own if you have an interest quite interesting, or maybe I'll do a subsection of this reading to read that for those who want to follow along in it, Luke 21, 28 to 31, Luke 21, Luke John, Luke 21, um, eight, 28 to 31, And Jesus said, And when these things begin to come to pass, then look up and lift up your heads, for your redemption draweth nigh. And he spake to them a parable. Behold, the fig tree and all the trees, when they now shoot forth, ye see and know of your own selves that summer is now at hand. So likewise, ye, when you see these things come to pass, know ye that the kingdom of God is is nigh at hand. All right. The signs begin to come to pass in 1780, and now they have come to pass. So, looking back to Matthew 24:33, Matthew 24:33, so likewise, you, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. i with Jesus' words, the Savior at the door. And Luke 21.32 and Matthew 24.34 both say, This generation shall not pass till all these things are fulfilled, or those who live on the earth are not going to all die before these happen. Um, so I'll look those up real quick. Uh, Matthew, I'll read Matthew 24.34 first since I'm already there. Matthew 24.34, Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, This generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And Luke twenty-one, thirty-two, I believe it also says the same thing. Luke twenty-one thirty-two. Jesus says, Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all be fulfilled. So before life is dead on this planet, these things are going to happen. Well, they did happen, and they happened timely at the right time and in the right order. And Desire of Ages, page six thirty-two. Gives us a little bit more details. So I'll grab that real quick. Um, Six thirty-two. Okay. Christ has given signs of His coming. He declares that we may know when He is near, even at the doors. He says of those things of the, of the, of those, I'm sorry. He says of those who see these signs, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. These signs have appeared. Now we know of a surety that the Lord's coming is at hand. Heaven and earth shall pass away, he says, but my words shall not pass away. Hmm. And page 406. Page 406. 32, and page 406. Oh, you hypocrites, said Jesus, you can discern the face of the sky. By studying the sky, they could foretell the weather. But can you not discern the signs of the times? Christ's own words, spoken with the power of the Holy Spirit, that convicted them of sin were the sign that God had given for their salvation, and signs direct from heaven had been given to attest the mission of Christ. The song of the angels to the shepherds, the star that guided the wise men, the dove, and the voice from heaven at his baptism were witnesses for him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit, and saith, Why doth this generation seek after a sign? There shall no sign be given unto it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. As Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the whale. Christ was to be the same in the heart of the earth, which, of course, he began to be in the heart of the earth in the Garden of Gethsemane. That's where we begin counting three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. And as the preaching of Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, so Christ's preaching was assigned to his generation. But what a contrast in the reception of the word. The people of the great heathen, city trembled as they heard the warning from god kings and nobles humbled themselves the high and the lowly together cried to the god of heaven and his mercy was granted unto them the men of nineveh shall rise in judgment with this generation christ had said shall condemn it because they repented at the preaching of jonah and behold a greater than jonah is here every miracle that christ performed was a sign of his divinity all right. So we've been given signs and these signs have been fulfilled so that we know where we are in history. And Luke 11:29 I think I may have just read something out of order, but I think it'll still be okay. Luke 11:29 We shall see, shall we not? Or I'm bringing you along with me and as I learn, as I learn, Mark, Luke. We'll learn together. Luke 11. Oh my goodness, I'm slow. Luke 11, 29. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, This is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of John the prophet. Hmm. Okay. So, the generation that would not pass must either be the generation addressed by the Savior or the generation that saw the signs fulfilled. The generation living in Christ's day had only one sign and therefore could not sin be the one that would not pass away until all things were fulfilled. Okay. Okay. They could not be the one. I'm sorry, I think there was a typo in this person who typed this book. They could not be the one that would not pass away. So our generation is the one that won't pass away till all things were fulfilled um, or die off the earth. Matthew 24, 35. Let's see. Back in the day when this book was typed up and put together, they didn't have the ability to edit things very easily. Somebody had to actually handset the type. Matthew 24, 35. And when they made typos, we still can see them when we read the book. And that's kind of comforting because you feel like you've got the real thing in your hand. Matthew. If somebody gets to editing these books, you don't know what all they edit. So I'd rather see the typos and know i got the real thing. Matthew 24, 35. Um, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Words of Jesus. It's true. What Jesus says, God's words. Cannot fail. And the last couple paragraphs in Desire of Ages, 234 and 235. And then only one Bible reference and we'll be done. Desire of Ages, 234 and 235. It was Gabriel the angel next in rank to the Son of God who came with the divine message to Daniel. It was Gabriel his angel whom Christ sent to open the future to the beloved John. And a blessing is pronounced on those who read and hear the words of the prophecy and keep the things written therein. The Lord God will do nothing. He reveals his secrets to his servants, the prophets. And while the secret things belong unto the Lord our God, Those things which are revealed belong unto us and to our children forever. God has given these things to us, and his blessing will attend the reverent prayerful study of the prophetic scriptures. As the message of Christ's first advent announced the kingdom of his grace, so the message of his second advent announces the kingdom of his glory, and the second message, like the first, is based on the the prophecies The word of the angel to Daniel relating to the last days were to be understood in the time of the end. The time of the end, as uh, we're not studying that today, but it began in 1798, which was exactly the time that these things that we just read about are happening in that time period. At that time, many shall run to and fro, and knowledge shall be increased. And we know that this is true of that time. So much knowledge began to be revealed. Back to the book. The wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand. The wicked will not understand. This is how you'll know. If you don't understand, you you may be wicked, but you have an opportunity to learn. But the wise shall understand. The Savior himself was given signs of his coming, and he says, When you see these things come to pass, know you that the kingdom of God is nigh at hand. Take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness. I believe surfeiting is overeating surfeiting, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and so that day come upon you unawares. Watch ye therefore, and pray always, that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things. I shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. We have reached the period foretold in these scriptures. The time of the end has come, the visions of the prophets are unsealed, and their solemn warnings point us to our Lord's coming in glory as near at hand. The Jews misinterpreted and misapplied the word of God, they knew not the time of their visitation. Well, what she's saying is, they were expecting a mighty king to come and save them from the Romans, but the prophecies they were looking at and reading applied to the second coming of Christ in power and might and glory. They were not looking at the prophecies of his coming as a lamb to be slaughtered. And we, in our time, we have to be careful that we do not misinterpret prophecies as well. Okay. So, the years of the ministry of Christ and his apostles, the precious last years of grace to the chosen people, they spent in plotting the destruction of the Lord's messengers. Ah, oh, could you imagine? Earthly ambitions absorbed them, and the offer of a spiritual kingdom came to them in vain. So today, the kingdom of this world absorbs men's thoughts. They take no note of the rapidly fulfilling prophecies and the tokens of the swift coming kingdom of god but you brethren are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief did you get that you're not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief you're all the children of light and the children of the day we're not of the night not of darkness well we are not to know the hour of our lord's return we may know when it is near therefore let us not sleep as do others let us watch and be sober okay the last bible reference Luke twenty one thirty four to thirty six. Ooh, it opened right up to that. Yay. Luke twenty one thirty four to thirty six. And take heed to yourselves, lest at any time your hearts be overcharged with surfeiting and drunkenness, and cares of this life, so that day come upon you unawares. For as a snare shall it come on all them that dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch ye therefore and pray always that ye may be accounted worthy to escape all these things that shall come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. All right, my brothers and sisters, that's the end of that study. And I'm just going to recap them quickly. And I would like to encourage you to follow along with me as we go through these studies, because we're going to learn and find out so much. And it will be a nail in a sure place. And we'll realize. We already kind of realize where, where we are in time. But this is an amazing study. So we learned that there would be signs in the heaven and the earth. The sun and moon and stars would be darkened. The sun would be black as sackcloth. The sun darkened and it's going forth in the morning to darkest at noon. The sun covered with a the cloud. Then the night was dark. The moon was like blood. Immediately, after the tribulation of the 1260 years it was darkened in the days but after the tri- it was after the tribulation the days were shortened which they were shortened uh, the end of time began in 1798 and the tribulations ceased about 1776 so you can stop and do the math and figure out how much they were shortened 1798 minus 1776 that's how much The 1260 years of Daniel began in 538 A.D., ended in 1798. The signs in the sun and the moon were to be seen between the end of the Tribulation and 1798 A.D. An account of the fulfillment is given in Webster's Dictionary, 1869. The Dark Day was May 19, 1780. The Dark Day in North America, one of the most wonderful phenomena, the stars fill as green fruit an entire chapter in Devon's book our first century pages 329 to 336 i will do an addendum an extra recording that i'll add to this and read that read those pages for those who are interested to follow along in that it's devoted to that description of the great shower of stars of november 13 1833 which fulfilled this prophecy the signs began to come to pass in 1780 and now they have come to pass The Savior is at the door. This generation shall not pass till all these things are fulfilled. Those things have all been fulfilled. And our generation, God's word cannot fail. We need to be prepared. We've been warned. All right, let's have a prayer. And dear Jesus, I pray for those who are here with me this morning as we begin to get more deeply into these studies. I pray that you will open our understanding. Give us your Holy Spirit. Lord, take from us those things that stand between us and you and our understanding. Thank you, Jesus. In your name, I pray. Amen. Okay, brothers and sisters, for those who are interested, there will be an added little recording of Devin's uh, book. All right. Have a good day. All right, here we are. I'm going to pull up Devon's book. I've got it open and on my phone. I'm going to need a magnifying glass. Let's have it turned sideways, please. There we go. Okay. Okay. Oh dear. I hope I did not lose. Oh, page three twenty nine. Okay. Mm-hmm. Please don't do this to me. Okay. Sublime meteoric shower over all the United States, 1833. The most grand and brilliant celestial phenomenon ever beheld and recorded by man. Now this person lived in that time. The whole firmament of the universe in fiery commotion for several hours amazing velocity size and profusion of the falling bodies their intense heat vivid colors and strange glowing beauty unequaled in every respect cloudless serenity of the sky the people were wonderstruck admiration among the intelligent alarm among the ignorant conflagration of the world feared impromptu prayer meetings prodigious star shower at Boston, myriads of blood-red fireballs. Ooh, that's interesting. The display at Niagara Falls, the blazing heavens, the roaring cataracts. Some of the meteors explode. Trains of light in their track. Radiant prismatic hues. Substance composing these bodies dissipated by bursting. One great central source, like the fig tree, The velocity, four miles a second, novel shapes and motions, hotter than the hottest furnace, possible result to the earth, half a continent, and presumed jeopardy. That was uh, the uh, order of what he's going to talk about. Page 329. I think I'm on the proper page. Extensive and magnificent showers of shooting stars have been known to occur at various places in modern times. But the most universal and wonderful which has ever been recorded is that of the 13th of November, 1833, the whole firmament over all the United States being then for hours in fiery commotion, no celestial phenomenon has ever occurred in this country since its first settlement, which was viewed with such intense admiration by one class and alarm by another and dread. It was the all-engrossing theme of conversation and of scientific disquisition for weeks and months indeed it could not be otherwise than that such a rare phenomenon phenomenon next in grandeur and sublimity to that of a total solar eclipse or a great comet stretched athwart the starry heavens in full view of a wonder-struck universe should awaken the deepest interest among all beholding it nor is the memory of this marvelous scene yet extinct Its sublimity and awful beauty still lingers in many minds who also remember well the terror with which the demonstration was regarded and the mortal fear excited among the ignorant that the end of the world had come. During the three hours of its continuance, the Day of Judgment was believed to be only waiting for sunrise, and long after the shower had ceased, the morbid and superstitious still were impressed with the idea that the final day was at least only a week ahead. Impromptu meetings for prayer were held in many places, and many other scenes of religious devotion or terror or abandonment of worldly affairs transpired under the influence of fear occasioned by so sudden and awful a display. But though in many districts the mass of the population were thus panic-stricken. Oh, I'm so sorry. I knocked my lamp over. Oh, dear. Did I lose everything? Oh, my goodness. Oh, where am I? Okay, here we are. But though in many districts, the mass of the populations were thus panic-stricken through fear as well as want of familiarity with the history of such appearance, the more enlightened were profoundly awed at contemplating so vivid a picture of the apocalyptic image that of the stars of heaven falling to the earth even as a fig tree casteth her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. In describing the effect of this phenomenon upon the black population, a southern planter says, I was suddenly awakened by the most distressing cries that ever fell on my ears. Shrieks of horror and cries for mercy could be heard from most of the negroes of three plantations, amounting in all to some six or eight hundred. While earnestly and breathlessly listening for the cause, I heard a faint voice near the door calling my name. I arose and, taking my sword, stood at the door. At this moment I heard the same voice still beseeching me to rise and saying, "'Oh my God, the world is on fire.' I then opened the door, and it is difficult to say which excited me most, the awfulness of the scene or the distressed cries of the Negroes. Upwards of one hundred lay prostrate prostrate on the ground, some speechless, and others uttering the bitterest moans, but with their hands raised, imploring God to save the world and them. The scene was truly awful, for never did rain fall much thicker than the meteors fell toward the earth, east, west, north, and south. It was the same. (coughs) Excuse me, sorry. In a word, the whole heavens seemed in motion. The display, as described in Professor Silliman's journal, was seen all over North um, America. The chief scene of the exhibition was within the limits of the longitude of 61 degrees in the Atlantic Ocean and that of 100 degrees in central Mexico, and from the North American lakes to the southern side of the island of Jamaica. Over this vast area at appearance presented itself far surpassing in grandeur and magnificence the loftiest reach of the human imagination from 2 o'clock until broad daylight the sky being perfectly serene and cloudless an incessant play of dazzlingly bright luminosities was kept up in the whole heavens some of these were of great magnitude and most peculiar form One of large size remained for some time almost stationary in the zenith over the falls of Niagara, emitting streams of light which radiated in all directions. The wild dash of the waters, as contrasted with the fiery commotion above them, formed a scene of unequaled and amazing sublimity. Arago computes that not less than 240,000 meteors were at the same time visible above the horizon of Boston. To form some idea of such a spectacle, one must imagine a constant succession of fireballs resembling sky rockets, radiating in all directions from a point in the heavens near the zenith and following the arch of the sky towards the horizon. They proceeded to various distances from the radiating point, leaving after them a vivid streak of light and usually exploding before they disappeared. The balls were of various sizes and degrees of splendor. Some were mere points, but others were larger and brighter than Jupiter or Venus, and one in particular appeared to be nearly of the moon's size. But at Niagara, no spectacle so terribly grand and sublime was ever before beheld by man as that of the firmament, descending in fiery torrents over the dark and roaring cataract, everywhere within the range of the exhibition. The first appearance was that of fireworks of the most imposing grandeur, covering the entire vault of heaven with myriads of fireballs resembling skyrockets. On more attentive inspection, it was seen that the meteors exhibited three distinct varieties as follows, described by Dr. Olmsted. First, those consisting of phosphoric lines, apparently described by a point Thus variety was the most numerous, this variety was the most numerous, everywhere filled the atmosphere, and resembling a shower of fiery snow driven with inconceivable velocity to the north and west, and transfixing the beholder with wondering awe. Second, those consisting of large fireballs which at intervals darted along the sky, leaving luminous trains which occasionally remained in view for a number of minutes, and in some cases for half an hour or more. This kind appeared more like falling stars, giving to many persons the very natural impression that the stars were actually falling from the sky, and it was principally this spectacle which caused such amazement and terror among the unenlightened classes. Third, those undefining luminous bodies which remained nearly stationary in the heavens for a considerable period of time, these were of various size and form, One of the most remarkable circumstances attending this display was that the meteors all seemed to emanate from from, the sky, run along the vault with immense velocity, describing in some instances an arc of 30 or 40 degrees in less than four seconds. The trains which they left were commonly white, but were sometimes tinged with the various prismatic colors. One ball, seen at New Haven, and supposed to have been identified with one described by various observers, that shot off in the northwest direction and exploded a little northward of the star Capella, left just behind the place of explosion a phosphorescent train of peculiar beauty. The line of direction was at first nearly straight, but it soon began to contract, contrast in length to dilute, dilate in breadth, "'and to assume the figure of a serpent, "'drawing himself up until it appeared "'like a small luminous cloud of vapor. "'This cloud was borne eastward, "'the wind blowing gently in that direction, "'opposite to the course in which the meteor had proceeded, "'remaining in sight several minutes. "'Of the third variety of meteors, "'the following are remarkable examples. "'At Poland, Ohio, "'a luminous body was distinctly visible "'in the northeast for more than an hour. "'It was very brilliant.' in the form of a pruning hook, and apparently 20 feet long and 18 inches, mm, one in the same point, that is, if their lines of direction had been continued backward, they would have met in the same point southeast, a little from the zenith. They set out at different distances from this point, and following the arch of this... Oh dear, I have messed up. Okay, 20 feet long and 18 inches broad it gradually settled towards the horizon until it disappeared. At Niagara Falls, a large luminous body shaped like a square table was seen nearly in the zenith, remaining for some time almost stationary and emitting large streams of light. At Charleston, South Carolina, a meteor of extraordinary size was seen to course the heavens for a great length of time and then was heard to explode with the noise of a cannon The point from which the meteors seemed to issue was observed by those who fixed the position of the display among the stars to be in the constellation Leo. At New Haven it appeared in the bend of the sickle, a collection of stars in the breast of Leo, a little to the westward of the star Gamma Leonis. By observers at other places, remote from each other, it was seen in the same constellation, although in different parts of it. An interesting and important fact in this connection is that this radiating point was stationary among the fixed stars, that is, that it did not move along with the Earth in its diurnal revolution eastward, but accompanied the stars in their apparent progress westward. According to the testimony of by far the greater number of observers, the meteors were in general unaccompanied by any very peculiar sound, but on the other hand, such a sound proceeding as was supposed from the meteors, was said to be distinctly heard by a few observers in various places. These sounds are represented either as a hissing noise, like the rushing of a skyrocket, or as explosions, like the bursting of the same bodies, and these instances were too numerous to permit the supposition that they were imaginary. A remarkable change of weather, from warm to cold, accompanied the meteoric shower, or immediately following it. In all parts of the United States, this change was remarkable for its suddenness and intensity. In many places, the day preceding had been unusually warm for the season, but before morning, a severe frost ensued unparalleled for the time of year. Indeed, the seasons and atmospheres, atmospheric changes exhibited remarkable anomalies long after that period. Thus, in parts of Michigan, so uncommonly mild was the season throughout the latter part of november and the whole of december that the indians made maple sugar during this month and the contiguous lakes remained unfrozen as late as january 3rd at the same period the season in the southwestern states as far as new orleans was uncommonly cold in most portions of new england an unusually mild winter was succeeded by a remarkable cold and backward spring repairing domestic fires requiring domestic fires to be kept throughout the month of May and frequently in the month of June, a succession of gales commenced about the time of the meteoric shower, first in the Atlantic Ocean and afterward in various parts of the United States, almost unequaled in this country for their frequency and violence. The meteors were constituted of very light combustible materials. Their combustibility was rendered evident by their exhibiting the actual phenomena of combustion being consumed or converted into smoke with intense light and heat, and the extreme tenuity of the substance composing them is inferred from the fact that they were stopped by the air. Had their quantity of matter been considerable with so prodigious a velocity, they would have had a sufficient momentum to enable them to reach the earth, and the most disastrous consequences might have ensued. Upon submitting this subject to accurate calculation— Upon established principles, Dr. Olmsted ascertained that the quantity of heat extricated from the air by the falling meteors exceeded that of the hottest furnaces and could be compared only to those immeasurable degrees of heat produced in the laboratory of the chemist, before which the most refractory substances are melted and even dissipated in vapor. Some of the larger meteors must have been bodies of great size Dr. Smith of North Carolina and other persons in various places saw a meteor which appeared as large as the full moon. If this body were at the distance of 110 miles from the observer, it must have had a diameter of one mile. If at a distance of 11 miles, its diameter was 528 feet, and if only one mile off, it must have 48 feet in diameter. These considerations leave no doubt that many of the meteors were of great size, though it may be difficult to say precisely how large. The fact that they were stopped by the resistance of the air proves that their substance was light. Still, the quantity of smoke or residuum which resulted from their destruction indicates that there was quite a body of matter. The momentum of even light bodies of such size and in such numbers traversing the atmosphere with such astonishing velocity must have produced extensive derangements in the atmospheric equilibrium as a consideration of certain points will show these large bodies were stopped in the atmosphere only by transferring their motion to columns of air large volumes of which would be suddenly and violently displaced cold air of the upper regions would be brought down to the earth the portions of air incumbent over districts of country remote from each other being mutually displaced, would exchange places, the air of the warm latitudes being transferred to colder and that of cold latitudes to warmer regions, remarkable changes of season would be the consequence, and numerous and violent gales would prevail for a long time until the atmosphere should have regained its equilibrium, that the state of the weather and the condition of the seasons that followed the meteoric shower corresponded, to these consequences of the disturbances of the the atmospheric equilibrium is a remarkable fact and favors the opinion early suggested that such disturbances is a natural effect of the meteoric shower and it's a consequence from which the most formidable dangers attending phenomena of this kind are to be apprehended. With regard to the nature of the meteors, Dr. Olmsted, after establishing the fact that they were combustible, light, and transparent bodies, Infers that the I think we' on the last page the cloud which produced the fiery shower consisting of nebulous matter and analogous to that which composes the tails of comets. It cannot be said indeed precisely what is the constitution of the material of which the latter are composed, but it is known that it is very light since it meets no agreeable force of attraction. On the planets moving even among the satellites of Jupiter, without disturbing their motions, although its own motions in such cases are greatly disturbed, thus proving its materiality and that it is exceedingly transparent is evinced by the fact that the smallest stars are visible through through them, so hence, so far as these can be gathered, there can be gathered any knowledge of the material of the subs- of the nebulous matter of comets. And of the matter composing them, November meteor, November meteor, these November meteors—they appear to be analogous to each other. Various hypotheses have been proposed to account for this wonderful phenomenon. The agent most readily suggesting itself in this, and is most either unexplained natural appearance, electricity, has no known properties adequate to account for the production of the meteors for the motions which they exhibited, or for the trains which, in many instances, they left behind them. And if this agent be supposed to have some connection with the light and heat which they exhibited, it is to be borne in mind that the compression of the air, which must result from the rapid progress of large bodies through it, is a sufficient cause of this. Magnetism has also been assigned as the principal agent concerned in producing the meteoric shower the aurora borealis and the remarkable auroral arches which occasionally appeared in the sky have been occasionally appear in the sky have been found to have peculiar solution relations to the magnetism of the earth arranging themselves in obedience to the laws of magnetic attraction something of this kind was supposed by some to appear during the meteoric phenomenon especially in the position of the apparent center or radiant point which was, as noticed by many observers, very nearly in the place towards which the dipping needle is directed. All right, and then there's a picture which I, I don't have the ability to share with you. And let me see. Oh, 335. There's still some more. I thought I was on the last page. Nope, there's like another page i've gone this far i might as well read it all right from other observations however it appears that the radiant point was not stationary with respect to the meridians but accompanied the stars in their westerly progress the apparent coincidence with the pole of the dipping needle being according to this purely accidental according to the view That has been taken by some of the origin of meteoric stones, namely that of ascribing them to terrestrial comets. The hypothesis has been suggested that the meteors in question might have a similar origin, but the body which afforded the meteoric shower could not have been of the nature of a satellite to the earth, because it remained so long stationary with respect to the earth, at least two hours a period sufficient to have carried it nearly round the earth in a circular orbit. Nor can it be supposed that the earth in its annual progress came into the vicinity of a nebula, which was either stationary or wandering lawless through space. Such a collection of matter could not remain stationary within the solar system in an insulated state, and had it been in motion in any other direction than that in which the earth was moving, it would soon have been separated from the earth. Since during the eight hours, while the meteoric shower lasted, and perhaps in all its now we're on the last page, wide range, it lasted much longer. The Earth moved in its orbit through the space of nearly five hundred and fifty thousand miles. In connection with the account of this meteoric shower, mention may be made of a remarkable light seen in the east at the time of that great display, and subsequently in the west after twilight at different times until the month of May, which light assumed different aspects corresponding, apparently, to those which the body revolving around the sun in the manner contemplated by theory would occupy. Hence it was conjectured that this luminous appearance proceeded from the body itself which afforded the meteoric shower. It has also been suggested that this light may result from the same cause as the zodiacal light, and that, the latter interesting phenomenon perhaps results from a nebulous body revolving around the sun interior to the orbit of the earth it is a point worthy of contemplation namely the direful effects which such a fiery shower might in the absence of that law of harmony which governs the universe have unquestionably produced had the meteors been constituted of materials a little more dense Their momentum would have enabled them to reach the earth and had they held on their course three seconds longer. It's impossible to conceive of the calamities which would have ensued by the descent to the earth of bodies of such magnitude glowing with the most intense heat. Half the continent must have been involved in one common destruction. One of the most interesting facts pertaining to this grand celestial phenomenon is its periodical character. Between the years 903 and 1833 of the modern era, Thirteen of these great showers are recorded, separated from each other by intervals of 33 and 66 years. It's not a little remarkable, too, that the epoch of these periodic displays coincides with the annual November showers, so familiar in their occurrence to all, and, 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 (sighs) that their point of divergence in the heavens is the same, indeed, the phenomenon of the long interval or period differs from that of the annual period only in its numerical character. The last of these magnificent stellar showers, second, perhaps, in grandeur of demonstration to that of November 1833, which latter stands solitary in its unsurpassed extent and splendor, occurred November 14, 1867, beginning at about three o'clock in the morning at half past three, a meteor of a greenish blue color, about the size of a star of the first magnitude, shot out from the direction of the constellation Leo, lighting up the sky with a long train of crimson fire, and traveling in a northwesterly direction. It had scarcely faded from sight when another, an equally brilliant, though not quite so large, came speeding along in its track, and was followed by fourteen of smaller magnitude one by one in quick succession. At this moment, A heavy cloud drifted toward the north, and for some minutes the spectacle was partially lost to view. That the meteors were falling rapidly, however, was plainly evident, for from all points where the mass of clouds was thin, occasional meteors flashed out, and the frequent lighting up of the clouds as they passed by left no doubt that the mysterious phenomenon was having full play in the regions beyond. At ten minutes before four o'clock the northern sky again became clear, A thick and almost impenetrable cloud passed over the moon, partially obscuring its light, and thus enabling the observers to view with greater distinctness the size and brilliance of the meteors. The display was now a most magnificent one indeed. The meteors shot out from Leo in all directions, and with remarkable swiftness traveled across the horizon. Sixty-three were counted in one minute and ten seconds, of which three were of extraordinary size and beauty, One of these was of a greenish hue, followed by a long train of the same color, traveling in the direction of Ursa Major. And as it was disappearing in the southern horizon, apparently burst, lighting up the sky for a great distance on all sides. It soon became utterly impossible to keep any correct amount of the number falling. Eight, ten, and twelve sped onwards on their erratic course at the same moment, scarcely disappearing before others of equal splendor took their places. For fully 20 minutes, they continued to follow the same rapidity, during which time they were counted exclusive of those already mentioned 313. This number, however, was not one-fifth of what really fell, as observed in New York City. Not less than 1,500 or 2,000 were estimated by observers in that city to have radiated from Leo during this space of time, some of which were splendid in color and movement. One of the meteors constituting this display is described as of surpassing beauty, size, and brilliancy. It radiated from Leo and took a direct northerly course toward Ursa Major, followed by a long train of yellowish-red hue which spanned the horizon from its point of appearance to that of its disappearance. This meteor was of the same greenish-blue color as the others that preceded it. Okay, finally, we're getting to the end. That's been awfully long. I so apologize and as it passed over about one half of the course tra- traversed, it seemed to burst, and then the spectacle was one of extreme beauty. Apparently hundreds of fragments of an almost blood-red color broke from it and scattered in every direction. While it continued its course toward the north, no longer wearing its greenish-blue color, but of one uniform and beautiful blue, the panorama it presented was exceedingly grand and lasted about three minutes before the varied colors disappeared and the firelit skies resumed their wonted serenity after the appearance of this the display gradually died away although it is doubtful from the want of the requisite data whether the source of the mediators or the meteors or the height of the meteoric cloud has been accurately ascertained yet the truth in regard to the latter may be approximated according to the established laws of falling bodies the velocity the mediators would acquire in falling from a point 2,238 miles above the earth to within 50 miles of its surface, this being considered as nearly the height of the atmosphere is about 4 miles per second, which is more than 10 times the maximum velocity of a cannonball, about 19 times that of sound. Okay, so you can tell from his discussion that it was pretty impressive to everyone who saw it and fulfilled prophecy quite nicely. It was of a prophetic magnitude. All right, thank you for joining me today. And um, I've recorded this just for those who want to hear that article. Have a good day, brothers and sisters. We'll see you in the morning as we continue our studies.